uh, the earlier chapters of 1 Corinthians, what we've seen is we've seen uh, Paul dealing with challenges. This is a challenged church. And if you'll remember, uh, this church is facing challenges both outside in the world, but they're facing challenges inside as well. And this is a young church, okay? They are growing in their faith. They're learning. Uh, they are not perfect. Um, they misunderstand. And so Paul is, is a pastor, yes, but he's also a spiritual father. And so he's, he's being patient with uh, this Corinthian church, these Christians. And one thing that we've seen is we've seen in chapter, uh, chapters 5, chapter 6, now moving into chapter 7, uh, is that Paul has dealt with uh, incestuous relationships. He's dealt with lawsuits. Uh, he's dealt with other types of sexual immorality. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 16, Paul deals with the topic of marriage uh, that the church had written to him about in a letter. So you'll find out as we read, um, the church had written to Paul. They had lots of questions. Uh, they had lots of concerns. And uh, they were split. Uh, they, they had one side that believed this way and one side that believed this way. And, and so they needed some direction and they wrote to Paul. Uh, they, they also asked him about what it meant to be single what it meant to live a celibate life. And Paul deals with this topic as well. And like I said, we will try to address that uh, next Sunday, uh, the second half of chapter 7. But before we get into uh, this letter and this chapter, I want to talk about marriage. God is the one who defines marriage. God defines marriage in His Word. Listen, there are nations and there are people groups that says this is what marriage is. Um, Man don't define marriage. God does. Because God is the one who gave us marriage. Now, we can either agree with it or not. But marriage is defined by God, and it is defined by His Word. Nothing and no one else. Uh, as a matter of fact, when it comes to biblical marriage, God's Word says that biblical marriage is between one man and one woman. That's it. That's biblical marriage. One man, one woman. Biblical marriage is also a picture of the gospel. And I'm going to explain that in a greater detail here in just a few moments. But, you know, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God says, A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's what God says. I love Pastor Ray Ortland, and Pastor Ray Ortland says this, One flesh means one life fully shared. I love that. One flesh means one life fully shared. What we see in Scripture is that marriage is not a product of human social evolution. Marriage comes down as a gift from God, and He alone defines it. That's what Pastor Ray Ortland says. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, listen to this, verses 30 and 31, for we are, one, we are members of His body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. When Paul was, was teaching people about biblical marriage, what did he do? He quoted Scripture. Like, he went to Scripture, the Old Testament, to tell people in his day what marriage was and who defined it. Brother Andy, that's me on my mic. You, you be ready. My microphone's acting up on me, so if I have to make a swap here in just a minute, 
just bear with me. But again, Pastor Ray Ortland says this, marriage is the display of Christ and his bride in loving relationship together. And so when you look at the Bible, especially in the New Testament, um, the church is known as the bride of Christ. And so marriage is a picture of the gospel. And so I love that. Biblical marriage, God defines it. And biblical marriage, according to God's definition, is between one man and one woman, period. And biblical marriage will always, always demonstrate or be an example, point to the gospel. So with that in mind, what I want us to do is I want us to look at chapter 7. Now, I'm going to tell you, uh, some things in the Bible um, are left to interpretation. And, and, and there are times when the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you, and you will interpret this passage this way and I will read it and the Holy Spirit will guide me and I will interpret it this way. There are some things, okay, that we may not agree on and that's okay. What's not okay is to be disagreeable with one another. And I want to be clear about that, okay? But there are some things in the Bible that don't need to be interpreted. They just need to be obeyed. And don't get those confused, okay? And so I, I want you to be careful when you're studying, when you're reading. And more than anything, here's what I always do. Is my decision with what I read in the gospel going to glorify God and please God? Or is it going to glorify and please me? That's a good way to determine <laughs> whether you're interpreting the scriptures right. Okay? Is this scripture about me being pleased and me being glorified? Or is this scripture about God being pleased and God being glorified with my obedience? And that's a, that's a good measuring stick. So let's, let's dig in. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. I broke this into two separate parts. So we're going to cover the first 11 verses. It is a lengthy passage, but it, it goes together. So let's read it. Beginning in verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about. Wrote about. So Paul is answering the letter that the church of Corinth wrote him. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So that's the comment that they made to Paul. They're asking him, is this the way to live? Verse 2, this is Paul answering. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried 
or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. So let's remember a simple truth about the church at Corinth, okay? Let's think about the context of this passage of Scripture, Paul answering a letter that this church wrote to him. They are a challenged church, and one issue that has been plaguing the church is immorality. Why is this an issue? Well, I will tell you. Corinth was a melting pot of people. There were all kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life, and there were many gods being worshipped in Corinth. And prostitution at temples was a big, big deal in their day. And so these Christians were seeing that everywhere they went, everywhere they walked. It was a part of that culture. It was a part of that lifestyle. And so sexual immorality uh, was plaguing these people, this area, and even this church. As a matter of fact, in chapter 6, we saw the extreme where they were justifying prostitution, the, the church. Paul said you should be ashamed of of justifying this type of immorality, this type of behavior. And now it seems that they are justifying, even commanding celibacy, which is singleness. Uh, No man, this is what they said, no man should have sexual relations with a woman. They were talking about all men in the church and all women in the church. And so what does Paul do? How does he answer Right, This statement, these questions that they have in this letter. Well, I'll show you. Number one, Paul encourages both marriage and celibacy as gifts from God. He encourages both marriage and celibacy as gifts from God. Paul makes it very clear in verse 7 that God gifts people one way or the other towards marriage or towards singleness. And Paul lets us know in verse 6 that abstaining for times of prayer and fasting and even celibacy is permitted. It's not commanded, it is permitted. I love Dr. Warren Wiersbe. And Dr. Warren Wiersbe says this, Genesis 2.18 states, It is not good for the man to be alone. And for most people, this is the true Uh, This is true for the gift of marriage, but some have been called to celibacy. Some have been called to a life of singleness for one reason or another. Their singleness is not sub-spiritual, neither is it super-spiritual, just like marriage is not sub-spiritual or super-spiritual. It all depends upon the will of God for you. I love how Dr. Wearsby breaks that down. He, he said, however God calls you, it is a blessing. If God calls you to marriage, it is a blessing. If God calls you to live in singleness, in celibacy, it is a blessing because it's God's will. And, and so how could it not be a blessing? So I love Dr. Wearsby's take Uh, especially on this passage of Scripture. Uh, As Paul goes on, he talks about the sexual relationship between a man and a woman. Sexual relationship is a gift to be enjoyed in the confines of marriage. Paul makes that very clear, not just in this letter. Now, I'm not going to get out of context. I'm going to stay in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But when you read any of the writings of Paul, when it comes to marriage, he always points to it as a gift from God 
And sexual relationship is to be enjoyed in the confines of marriage. Now in this passage, Paul uses a word, and I don't want you to be confused by this. Paul says it is the marital duty, the marital duty of both the husband and the wife. Dr. Tony Evans explains it this way. This isn't to say that having a sexual relationship is a duty. Rather, it emphasizes that husbands and wives should not be selfish and should not focus on the needs of themselves, but rather the needs of their spouse. True intimacy involves vulnerability with your spouse and selfless giving to one another. So I love the way Dr. Tony Evans breaks that down as well. And Paul makes it very clear that in the marriage relationship, okay, the sexual relationship must be mutual and it must be understood by both the husband and the wife. Why? What does Paul say right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? Satan will use sex to tempt us and cause us to go outside God's original design. So Paul says we need to communicate effectively in the marriage. We need to take care of our marital duties, our responsibilities. We need to provide for one another, right? Why? Because Satan, right, he will use that sex, that sexual relationship to tempt us and cause us to go outside of God's design. Remember, I said it this morning, and I'll say it again right now. Satan is the enemy of God. And if he's the enemy of God, he's the enemy of the church. And if he's the enemy of the church, you know what that means? He's your enemy. Wherever you are, the home, the workplace, the community, the school, Satan is the enemy. He wants to destroy the image of God, and you and I are image bearers of God. Verse 2 makes it very clear. Verse 2 makes it very clear that any sexual relations outside the original design of marriage is immorality. It is sin. Okay? Now again, this is difficult. This is difficult to talk about. This is difficult to embrace, right? People ask me all the time, uh, Brother Jeff, do we have to wait to have sex until we're married? I'm going to tell you the biblical answer every time. Yes, that's the way God designed it. Whether you agree with it or not, that's the way God designed it, okay? And any step outside of the way God designed it, you are inviting Satan Right? You're inviting Satan to harm you, to harm your loved one, to harm your home, to harm the people around you. It's just an invitation. When you go outside of God's design for marriage and sexual relationship, it's an invitation for Satan to have his way in your life. That's what it is. And he's going to use it, right? Now, Paul goes on. And he talks about abstaining. There is a time, there can be a time to abstain from sex in the marriage, but it must be in devotion to God. In other words, he said there will be times where you will pray and fast, okay? And when we think of fasting, we always think about fasting from what? Food. But fasting, all right, fasting can be more than food. Yes, Uh, Fasting from food is a biblical uh, teaching, right? And that is absolutely true. But there are times when you can fast in other areas of your life as well. And Paul says, hey, this is a concession, not a command. In other words, he's saying, hey, I'm not commanding this. I'm conceding that it's okay, 
right? It's okay to do this. But he said it must not be prolonged. It must not be prolonged. Paul actually encourages this as a good thing. As long as it is mutual and as long as God is glorified. Uh, Why do you think he would say it doesn't need to be prolonged? Because what will Satan do? Satan will use that sexual relationship to tempt you to go outside of God's design. So you've got to be very careful and very prayerful when this happens. Um, and then Paul, again, makes a very bold statement, but he's basing it on not his teaching, but the teaching of the Lord. He says, husbands and wives are not to divorce each other. That's God's original design. Marriage is designed for one man and for one woman for a lifetime commitment. Paul states this is a direct teaching from the Lord. Now in Paul's day, and you got to be careful here, but in Paul's day, there was no distinction between separation and divorce. Did you know that legally, in Paul's day, if you were separated, you were divorced? There was no, dif- there was no difference between the language, okay? As a matter of fact, in this passage, he uses separation in one verse, and then right below it, he says divorce. It's because the words are interchangeable. And so, again, in the Corinthian church, they were confused, and they believed that celibacy, singleness, was more spiritual. And so guess what they were doing in the church in Corinth? They weren't divorcing because of adultery, or because spousal abuse, they were actually divorcing because they had heard that to live single and to live celibate was more spiritual. Can you believe that? That, that They were divorcing because they thought, oh, I'll be more spiritual if I divorce. But that's not God's design for marriage. He didn't, he didn't design marriage so that you could just pick up and leave whenever you want, right? Did he permit it in, in, in the law of Moses? Did he permit it? Yes, but that's not what he designed it for, okay? And again, this is a topic we don't like to talk about, okay? And again, I'm going to get to this in just a few moments. The best thing about all of this is one word. It's called grace, amen? Grace. Grace covers it all. And so listen, if any of this, right, if you have fallen in any of this, you know, sex outside the marriage, right, separation or divorce or just difficult circumstances and difficult choices, uh, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to get bashed by me, right? And you shouldn't get bashed by the church. You know what you should get? You should get grace. And you should get love. And you should get discipline and teaching and discipleship, all of these things. You should get that in a loving atmosphere and you should get that in a faith-growing way. And that's what Paul is trying to do for the church here. Uh, Paul says, um, you know, um, for those who, who are unmarried, stay unmarried. Sure, right? But for those who are married, hey, do everything in your power to stay married, right? And he says, if you're unmarried and you lack self-control, instead of burning with passions that lead to an ungodly lifestyle, then pray and ask God to line you up and be married and glorify God in your marriage. And so Paul is trying to teach them through this. Paul, he basically offers two choices here. Uh, Remain unmarried or be reconciled to your spouse. Now, I want to go to this next passage, verses 12 through 16, because Paul says a little more here, and uh, it's very good. Verse 12, he says, To the rest I say this, I... 
not the Lord. Now, understand, and people have debated this so many times, okay? And, and I, I'll tell you what, let's just read it and then I'll get to it, okay? Um, he says, to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, which means that Jesus did not teach on this topic. Even though he covered it, he did not specifically teach on this topic. So he says, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now again, when Paul says, not I, but the Lord, he is referring to a direct teaching, right? Jesus directly taught on this topic. But when he says, I, not the Lord, then what he's referring to is he's referring to being led by the Spirit, but Jesus never taught on this topic specifically. Does that make sense? Okay? Now, here's what I will tell you, and I love what Dr. David Jeremiah says. Whatever Paul wrote that is in the Bible, it's not just to be discarded as his opinion, because who led Paul to write what he wrote? Somebody answer that question for me. The Holy Spirit of God. And so if the Holy Spirit of God led him to write it, then it is good. Okay? So, so be careful with that. Just saying, oh, well, Paul said that. Jesus didn't teach that. Okay? Be very careful. Very, very careful. Because I'm going to tell you, I believe what God's Word says from cover to cover. I believe it. Okay? I embrace it. I accept it. Okay? And so, again, you pray and you be led by the Spirit in that, but don't just discard something, right? Because you think that was this man's opinion or this person's opinion. If the Holy Spirit of God allowed it to be in his Bible, guess what? It's from the Holy Spirit, and it's right, and it's good. So, uh, I love, again, Dr. Tony Evans. Um, I, I'm just going to read what he said. Paul means that Jesus never spoke directly on this subject that the Corinthian church wrote him about. Nevertheless, as an inspired apostle led by the Holy Spirit of God, Paul gives them godly guidance. And so I love the way Dr. Evans explains that. So what was Paul saying uh, to these people, right? You have a Christian that is married to a non-Christian, right? It could be a Christian husband married to an unbelieving wife or it could be a Christian wife uh, married to an unbelieving husband. Here's what he says. A Christian already married to an unbeliever does not mandate divorce. In other words, you can't just say, well, since he's not a Christian or since she's not a Christian, I want a divorce. Paul's saying nowhere in Scripture is that mandated. Nowhere in Scripture is that commanded, right? In fact, the Christian, what Paul would say right here, the Christian is a channel of sanctification and grace to the unbeliever. Now, you've heard me say this before, but I've got a prime example in my life. 
two of the best people that have ever been in my life, my Aunt Nancy and my Uncle James. And my mom's sitting right here, okay? My Aunt Nancy was a Christian woman from the time she was a teenage girl, and she loved the Lord. She read her Bible. She went to church. She, she was a, a prime example of a godly woman in my life. Her husband became a Christian when he was 65 years old. They had been married for years, years. And you know what my Aunt Nancy told me almost every day? I'm praying for your Uncle James. I'm, she would tell me that over and over again. I'm praying for your Uncle James. God's going to get him. And one day, I felt a tap on my shoulder. He was sitting behind me in that old building where we're going to be doing vacation Bible school this week, sitting behind me and tapped on my shoulder and said, would you walk down there with me? I said, yes, sir. And I walked down that aisle, and he looked Brother Mickey Hawkins right in the eye, and he said, I've lived my whole life for myself. He said, and I'm ashamed. He said, I want Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My goodness, right? In that moment, all I could think about was the constant love, grace, and mercy that my Aunt Nancy showed him and demonstrated to him, and it changed his life forever. Now, my Aunt Nancy didn't save my Uncle James, and that's not what Paul meant in this passage of Scripture, right, that you have the power to save someone. But if you are a channel of sanctification, a channel of holiness, a channel of grace to someone in your home who's not a, not a believer, oh, God can use you as a tool, right, a gospel seed planter so that the Holy Spirit can do an incredible life-changing work. So, so Paul is not saying that one Christian can save another person. What he's saying is you can be the means of salvation for another person. Uh, another pastor that I was listening to, it was a podcast, Pastor Richard Pratt, listen to what he said. He said, the term sanctified denotes being made special or set apart for God's uses or God's purposes. Okay? So if you are a believer and you are sanctified, God has set you apart, right? You are his special possession his special tool. And the sanctification that you have on you, it it has the ability to wrap its arms around the people in your home, your children as you raise them up, right? The sanctification you have from God, the grace you have from God, it can overflow from your life, right? That's what it does. And so that's what Paul is teaching here. And, And so he goes a step further and he says this, if, right, if an unbelieving spouse leaves, then the believer is no longer bound. So if the believer has done everything he or she could do to be the channel of sanctification, to be the channel of grace to this unbeliever, and then the unbeliever in turn abandons him or abandons her, um, Paul basically says it is like adultery. It would be an exception to the biblical prohibition against divorce. Again, um, I wish I could say it as eloquently as he does, but I can't, so I'm just going to quote Dr. Tony Evans on this. Dr. Tony Evans says, if a Christian spouse has done everything possible to preserve his or her marriage, but the unbelieving spouse still leaves the home or leaves his or her divinely ordained role in the marriage, Scripture considers such a situation a legitimate ground for divorce, permitted not commanded, and thus the believing spouse would be able to remarry. That's what Dr. Tony Evans says about this passage of Scripture. And Paul is very clear. Paul says use wisdom and use patience, right? 
Wisdom and patience should be used because who knows how God is going to use a believing spouse in the confines of that marriage. Again, I want to go back to uh, my Uncle James and my Aunt Nancy. Uh, Lord rest, you know, both of their souls. I know that they are in heaven uh, together. And, uh, but I want to tell you, I knew my Uncle James for a lot of my life when he was an unbeliever, right? And I'm going to tell you, he was a hard-working man. He was a good man. All of those things, right? But my Uncle James could cuss you out in a heartbeat, right? And my Uncle James could, boy, he could crack that whip when he needed to, right? Um, I never personally heard him or saw him treat my Aunt Nancy um, in, in a bad way. Never, I never experienced that. I don't know, Mom, you might can verify that, but I never saw that, okay? And so I realized that that's a unique situation, okay? And, and I have counseled, I have counseled many, many people, and uh, I by no means am, am um, I, I try to send people to counselors, well, you know, the good, godly counselors, people have been trained, but I'm going to tell you this, okay? Um, the wisdom of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the patience of God, God can give you everything you need, right, in your marriage if you're in a situation like this. I realize every Sunday, sometimes when I look out there, I, I see a wife sitting there whose husband don't want anything to do with church. Sometimes I see husbands sitting there whose wives don't want anything to do with church, don't want anything to do with God, okay? What I would tell you is you pray and you don't stop praying. Uh, pray for wisdom Pray for guidance. Pray to be a vessel of sanctification, a vessel, right, a channel of grace to that spouse. But here's the truth, and Paul shows us right here. If that spouse leaves, if that spouse abandons his or her role in the marriage, uh, listen, God's grace has got you. God's grace has got you. God's grace covers you. And really and truly, when I look at these 16 verses, when I look at this passage of Scripture and Paul's response uh, to this challenged church, this church that, that needed wisdom and needed understanding because they clearly were, were not using wisdom in the way that they acted, I, I find two truths. Number one, ultimately, the marriage relationship is the opportunity to glorify God. That's number one. The marriage relationship is the opportunity to glorify God and to demonstrate the gospel to others. Because I'm going to tell you, um, I saw it in my mom and dad. Uh, I saw it, I, you know, I'm blessed because, um, you know, when Marty and I got married, before we got married, I saw it in her mom and dad. You know, I, I talk about my Aunt Nancy and my Uncle James after he was saved. Um, I'm just telling you, he was a different man. He was a different man. And uh, he loved my Aunt Nancy uh, all those years before, but he loved her with the love of God after he got saved, and, and it was amazing. And I, I'm just telling you, I had demonstrations of the gospel in front of me all the time, all the time. And I thank God for it today because I can use that in my marriage, you know, with my wife and my kids. And so I believe that the marriage relationship if we would look at it as an opportunity to glorify God. You know, you know what happens so much today? Is we look at the marriage relationship and we say, how does it fulfill me? Isn't that right? How does it fulfill me? Well, what is he doing for me? What is she doing for me? What am I getting out of this? And I'm going to tell you, Satan loves that. Satan wants it to be about you. He wants it to be selfish. He wants you to take your eyes off of God in the marriage and keep them on you. 
What Paul is teaching right here in the Corinthian church is put your focus on God. Look to God with your marriage. Glorify God with your marriage. Demonstrate the gospel to people around you with your marriage and see what happens. See what happens. And then ultimately, the second truth that I glean from this passage of Scripture um, is thank God for His forgiveness, right? Thank God for His forgiveness. Thank God for His grace. Thank God for His mercy when we fail and when we fall in this life. It happens. Sometimes we strike out. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we fall. Sometimes it's the other, right? It's the other person's fault or failure, and we pay the consequences. Sometimes it's our fault and our failure, and and someone else pays the consequences. Sometimes it's both parties' fault. And and I'm going to tell you something. We don't need to be beating people up. And we don't need to be belittling people. And we don't need to be holding back from people. What we need to be doing is we need to be pouring into people. And we need to be building people up. And we need to teach them forgiveness and grace and mercy that is found in Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure that, that, listen, get back on the starting line. Get back in the batter's box. I I use sports analogy because that's just who I am. Um, when I was running the other day, I was telling Andy and Beverly this at lunch, uh, the other day I was running and I, I had a long run and about halfway into it, my, my coach on the, on the podcast I was listening to, he says, okay, man, uh, this is the time when you probably feel like a balloon filled with water and you don't know whether to burst or to just sit down. He said, take a deep breath and stop. He said, take a deep breath and stop. Just stop running. And I was like, wait a minute. He's never told me to stop, right? He's told me to slow down, or, but he just told me to stop. He told me to stop running. So I stopped running. He said, now, forgive yourself or stop running. He tricked me, and, um, and he said, forgive yourself. He said, here's the thing. You've been running hard, and you probably feel like a failure because you've been looking at your watch, and you're not where you need to be, or you're not where you were supposed to be. Hey, forgive yourself. I love that, right? This is, I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not, but, but he's using a Christian principle, right? Forgive yourself. And then the next thing he said was, pick up your feet and start again. Set new goals. Strive harder on this part of the run than you did the first part of the run. Meet your goals. And so I thought about that. Forgive yourself. There are so many people today, um, they, they just, they don't have a problem with forgiving others, but they have a problem with forgiving themselves. And, 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 and they even have a problem with accepting the forgiveness that God has for them. They, they just believe they've blown it and that they can't do this or they can't do that because they've blown it. I'm going to tell you something. Moses was a murderer. Am I right? Yeah. David, King David, guess what? An adulterer and a murderer. Uh, we could go on and on, right? I could go on and on through, through people God used, right? God forgave, God showered them, bathed them with grace and picked them up and put them on a starting line to start a new journey and to glorify Him, Right? And if God can do that in the Bible, I'm going to tell you something. My God ain't changed. The God that was there when Abraham was alive is the God that's here when Jeff's alive. (laughs) The same God, right? 
that did all of those things that we read in the Bible is the God that's doing that today. And so thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. And thank God for his direction. Amen? We, we can know how to live in this life, whether that's the marriage life or the single life. Right? And, and, and both are blessings. If it's God's will for you, both are blessings. So, so one is not greater than the other. If it's God's will, it's what's best for you, and you embrace it and you live it out. Amen? Amen.